So good afternoon, everyone. I have to say, I'm so surprised to see 250 people here today. I really thought the coronavirus would put everyone off. Now, that's a joke that's going to work really well on the podcasts for people that haven't been. So just keep it to yourselves. They'll think there were 250 of us. It's good, isn't it? Now, James has already destroyed my first joke that I was going to say. I know, I know. I was going to say, come on, do you know what day it is? Can anyone tell me what day it is? But he's already told us. Were you listening? Monday, they were listening. That's nice, isn't it? Um, So, we are in the run-up to Easter. We're exploring the last week of Jesus. And today, we are looking at Monday. Now, I wondered if anybody here, if it's their favorite day of the week, who loves a Monday? (laughs) Yeah? Claire Sword does love a Monday, doesn't she? She absolutely does. Is it anybody's least favorite day of the week? (laughs) We have staff team meeting on a Monday, and James is putting his hand up, so that's nice. But there were a few hands there. And who who feels fairly indifferent about a Monday? Oh, a lot of people, actually. I thought it would be a least favorite for a lot, but a lot of indifference. So that's kind of good. But I'm not too sure how Jesus felt about Mondays. You see, this passage that Maddie read to us so beautifully, um, we have Jesus, first of all, yelling at a plant. Have you ever yelled at a plant? Yes. Do you know what, Joe? I have as well, and do you know why I've yelled at a plant? Well, many of mine die, but it's mainly because my mother, who may be here today, keeps, keeps buying me plants. She, she's, you've bought me more than one, it's just died. Um, <laughs> Um, she bought me an aloe vera plant and it just keeps reproducing and I can't kill it, just, I'm trying and it just keeps going and I keep yelling at it but it's still going so I, I relate to how Jesus felt yelling at that plant um, and then of course he goes on to throw everybody out of the temple it seems like a pretty bad Monday I've never thrown everybody out of a church I have to say um, but Jesus seems to be having a pretty bad Monday. But I think if we just stop, if we stop to see what's really going on in this passage, maybe we can get a different meaning out of this. So we're really trying to look at what the writer is trying to communicate. And so we are going to dip into some theology here. So if that's not your thing, that's fine. Just zone out for a minute, but come back in a few minutes and uh, we'll be on something else. So do you think the writer is trying to communicate that actually Jesus is human? He's trying to communicate this humanity of Jesus, that Jesus really did have off days like the rest of us. I don't think so either, Maddie. I saw that. (laughs) I don't think so. I think there are other passages in the Bible that are particularly good at communicating the humanity of Jesus. You know, when we think about Lazarus and it says Jesus wept, I think we really see that humanity of Jesus there but not in this passage. I don't think that's what this is about at all. So what is it about? Well, I think maybe that there's a connection between that fig tree that he yells at and the temple where he goes in and throws all the tables over. I think maybe the fig tree is a metaphor, and I think maybe it's explained further by Jesus' actions uh, when he throws those temples over. Now, I've been reading a book that James said, would you like to borrow this book? And it doesn't, you know, when the person training you says, do you want to borrow this book? You think, yep. (laughs) Yeah, of course I do, yeah. (laughs) 
So <laughs> I've been reading this book um, by uh, Marcus Borg and somebody Crossan, can't remember his first name, um, and they say that that fig tree isn't a historical story in the book of Mark, but actually that it's symbolic. So they're saying that if this was a historical story, that if Jesus really did go up to this fig tree and yell at it for not producing fruit when it was out of season, they're saying that that would make Jesus like a petulant child. Which, yeah, I think they, they might be right there, actually. But if we see it as symbolic, if we see that story about the fig tree as symbolic for what, then, what later happens when he turns the tables then we can interpret it differently. And it brings on a whole different meaning. Now, I'm really happy with that understanding of the fig tree. I find it really helpful. But if you're not, that's fine. I think we all, we all get to make up our own minds and interpret these things. So if you're not, not happy, that's all right. But for me, I think that that's a really useful thing. So then we're looking at this fig tree. The function of a fig tree is to produce fruit, but it's bare. And I could have gone down a route of talking about food, but the last time that I talked, John Pincher came up to me afterwards and he said, Sarah, I've noticed you're always talking about food. <laughs> so I thought I'd try and avoid talking about food this time. So I'll talk about something different, but I could have. So we're going to skip right back to Genesis just for a moment. Now, in the book of Genesis, we see that God chooses Israel. He chooses this nation, and he gives them the law, and he gives them this sacrificial system so that they can be his people, so they can be close to him, and he can be close to them. And um, there, was a, there was a quote at the Bible course on Thursday, Joe. You missed it. You'll have to catch up. But the, the guy that does the Bible course videos, he said, and God lived in a tent. <laughs> It just really cracked me up. Um, but it's true. Uh, back in Genesis, God lived in a tent, or Exodus even. Um, and the Israelites would walk through the wilderness, and they had God with them in, in this kind of tent. And then when they eventually settle as the nation of Israel, when they settle in a land, the tent then becomes a temple. And we see David and we see Solomon building this temple. Um, and that's how kind of Israel have developed and how the Jewish uh, religion has developed. And it's really different. It's defined from all of its neighboring countries. Um, it's defined by this temple. It's defined by the fact they have Yahweh with them. Um, it's defined by the law that they have and how different that looks to everyone else. So they're a really distinctive nation. Yet, by the first century, when Jesus is around, the temple has kind of lost its distinctiveness about a bit. It's kind of a different place. You see, the high priests that were in charge of the temple had always been chosen from the same family, from the tribe of Levi. But by the first century, the Roman Empire are actually picking the high priests. So these high priests are kind of, they've got a conflict of interest going on because they're elected by the Roman Empire. This whole place that they're living in has lost its distinctiveness because everywhere geographically around them, is also run by the Roman Empire, as is the temple. It's kind of completely corrupted. And the place in the temple where the Gentiles would go to worship, it was an outer court. That place, the Gentiles simply couldn't worship there because stuff was being sold there, money was being exchanged there. It was more like a marketplace than a temple. So the Gentiles were not able to worship there. 
And I've said it in previous talks, but the people by and large at this point are poor. They're not making a lot of money. They're oppressed by the empire, by the religious empire and the Roman empire, actually. You know, they are having to pay to enter the temple. Then they're having to pay to be able to make sacrifices. So essentially, they're having to pay to be forgiven. Like, this is a really corrupt system. It's not what God ever intended. And so we can see, with that metaphor, if the fig tree is the temple, we can see that actually it's no longer bearing fruit. It's a completely corrupt system, and it's no longer bearing that fruit. On that note, I'm going to invite Joe Bell to just come and read a short passage to us. It's from the Old Testament. It's from uh, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, Amos. Uh, And she's just going to read a short passage to us explaining about what God says about that. So this is Amos chapter... Oh, hello. (laughs) Hello. Um, Amos chapter 5, verse 21. It says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring, me, bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Thank you, Joe. So we can see that actually God all along in the Old Testament, he's always been saying he'd prefer for his own temple to be destroyed than to use it to, to perpetuate injustice. He'd always prefer justice to prevail than for people to come with empty worship into his temple. And so when Jesus says to the plant, may nobody ever eat fruit from you again, it's a symbolic thing. He's saying, may this corruption of the temple end. It's actually pointing forward to the cross, which happens at the end of the week. He's saying, that this system has to end. You know, it moves on to the throwing of the tables. I thought about doing a physical demonstration. Decided against it. I didn't want to scare you all with my power and might. So we won't. All right, Dave. Um, But the fig tree and the table turning, they interpret one another. You know, in this light, we can see that they're really similar They're interpreting each other. We can see that when Jesus goes in and turns the tables, we see exactly what he's doing. It's this powerful moment of saying no to everything that the temple had become, saying no to all of that corruption. You know, it had become oppressive. It was oppressing the poor people, people that couldn't afford forgiveness. It was perpetuating injustice rather than bringing justice. It was turning worship into an activity for the well-off. And it was making forgiveness a luxury. And what Jesus does is he turns up at that temple and he essentially stops all trade. Essentially, the temple at that point is in lockdown. 
We're quite familiar with a bit of lockdown at the moment, aren't we? But that's what the temple was experiencing at that time. Just when Jesus went in. I want you to imagine, if you can, um, if you can kind of how Jesus would have felt doing that. This was a temple where Jesus had gone his whole life. He'd always been in that temple. He'd gone there so many times. He'd seen all of that corruption so often. And yet this time, he went, no, this is enough. Imagine that freedom that he must have felt in doing that. It stops even the rich, even the incredibly well-off. It stops them from buying forgiveness. It brings everybody to a point where they're equal. And it points so clearly forward to the cross because in, sh- in shutting down that temple, even for a moment, Jesus is pointing to his death and his resurrection whereby all forgiveness is free, whereby he's paid for everyone. You know, it's that start of the week where Jesus sets about bringing justice and freedom. We can see that Jesus' earthly life, it starts before the cross. You know, we so often think of the cross as the moment that brought all that justice, the freedom, forgiveness, love, mercy, grace. And of course it did, but it was kind of the climax. Jesus' earthly life started all of that first. The saving action of Jesus wasn't just the cross, but it was everything that came before it. It was all of his actions before it. The cross is the climax of that and his resurrection too. The last week of Jesus shows that in such a concentrated way. And this could be kind of a totally different sermon, but I couldn't resist it because once I'd seen it, you know, it's there. I think there are so many Christians that kind of live as if Believing in Jesus is simply about getting into heaven. And I just think that's missing the point. I really do. Jesus' last week alone shows us that freedom, that justice, that real life, life in all of its fullness, starts way before death. You know, he started doing all of that stuff before he died on a cross. And that last week is such a concentrate of it. Jesus didn't live this kind of quiet life, but his mission started during his earthly life. And our life and our relationship with God starts in this world too. I'm really pleased to say that we're not just hanging on for heaven. (laughs) Because that would be a really dull life, wouldn't it? (laughs) But actually, Jesus is interested in our lives here and now. It's not just about hanging on for heaven. And so we grab life. Life is to be lived in relationship with Jesus. And that is the best life possible for us. Sometimes I think that life might look a little risky. It might not quite look like the nice Christian life we thought we might have. I don't think Jesus looked like a nice Christian life if we weigh it up. 
but it might look like uh, challenging ingrained systems that oppress and perpetuate injustice. And it might be in politics, it might be in religion, it might be in education, it could be in any sector of society. But you know, fully alive, we seek to continue what Jesus established when he brought the kingdom of God to earth. We seek to continue taking freedom, taking justice to others. We seek to keep extending the forgiveness and the love, the mercy and the grace of God. And in the context of today, in the context of a time when coronavirus seems to be everywhere, either with people suffering from it or with people terrified of it, in that context, that means sharing what we have. It means being responsible with our resources. It means giving as much as we can to other causes. It means looking out for our literal neighbors and our metaphorical neighbors. It means doing all of those things and living in relationship with Jesus so that we can serve one another. Let's pray. Father God, help us to live a life with you. Help us to be fully alive and to know you in every aspect of our lives. Help us to think of others. Help us to bring your justice, your freedom. Help us to bring your grace and your mercy into the lives of those around us. And Father, keep us from becoming selfish during difficult times. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you and help us to be people that go out there and build community in whatever way that we can. In the name of Jesus, amen.